Our scripture for today is from 2 Samuel, and we're going to be bouncing through 2 Samuel 2 and 3, and we're even going to haunt chapter 4 briefly in the sermon, though I won't read it in this portion of scripture. And I think that we'll have slides that'll cover this as well, so you won't have to be bouncing around. (coughs) But it will be 1 through 4 and 8 through 11, starting in chapter 2. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. And after this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone in his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David as king over the house of Judah. Skipping to verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Azurites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And in that time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Now we turn over to chapter three. From from two to three, bad civil war happens. It's awful. But now we're in chapter three. Verse one, and there was a long war between the house of Saul, thank you, and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Skipping to verse 17, and Abner conferred with the elders of Israel saying, well, for some time past, you've been seeking David as a king over you. Now then bring it about for the Lord has promised David saying by the hand of my servant, David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of Benjamin Philistines and from the hand of all its enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron, all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Abner said to David, I will arise and I will go and I will gather all Israel to my Lord, the king, and they will make a covenant with you that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and went in, and he went in peace. But just then, The servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. Well, then Joab and all the army that was with him came. And it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king and he let him go. He went in peace. Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away? Why is he gone? Why is it? uh, You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you are doing. 
when Joab came from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner. They brought him back from the cistern of Sirah, but David did not know about this. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Ashel, Asahel, his brother. Afterwards, David heard of it. And he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall on the head of Joab and upon his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who walks by the sword, who falls by the sword, who, who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle of Gibeon. One more passage from starting at verse 35 in chapter 3. The people came to persuade David after he was grieving over Abner to eat bread while it was still day. But David swore saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it. It pleased them as everything the king did pleased the people. So all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put Abner to death, the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day? I was gentle today, though I was anointed king. These men, these sons of, of Zariah, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In 2 Samuel 2, chapter 2 through chapter 4, we read some of the gray story of human politics. Several men were attempting to have an influence on the coming kingdom of David, they all knew it was coming. But they were all trying to maneuver. Some were trying to hasten it. Others were trying to defeat it. Some sought to turn the kingdom to their own advantage. But none of them were good enough. None of them were powerful enough. None of them were wise enough to accomplish what they intended. I don't know how many of you ever watched television? Raise your hand if you've watched television. Good. All right, good. I was afraid I'd be the only one. Remember West Wing? Jed Bartlett and West Wing. You know, you may disagree with Jed Bartlett on his policy, but he was really trying to do the right thing. And even though he was a, a liberal, I think every conservative's heart went pitter-patter as they saw him trying to do the right thing for the right reason. I wish that was a documentary and not fiction. The only realistic hope we have for a man like that, for stability and peace, is Jesus Christ. And he's coming with his full-orbed kingdom of God and no single person, no single country can wave that flag. And network television won't dare to portray that. The Bible's message is that God has promised 
a king who will be wise, who will be understanding, who will do it for the right reason, a just judge. And he will succeed and he'll bring perfect peace, not just to the kingdoms of this world, not just to the human race, but to all creation. And more than that, he's already come and he's begun to reign through you, through me, through his church. The King Jesus Christ is calling all people everywhere to come into his kingdom by trusting his promises from the baby steps of the gospel to the marathon of spirit-empowered faithfulness in the church and the world. That's what we're talking about today, however, is the various responses to David's first phase as reign of king and how those reflect our own responses to him. We see rebellious disobedience in Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and those who followed him. We see a rebellious obedience from Joab, David's general, who <coughs> hated David's gentle, honorable way of leading. We see a change of heart from Abner, who helps crown Ishbosheth, and then begins to follow David. And we see two fools in chapter 4 that we're going to take a peek at try to assassinate their way to the top. As we look at these several responses to David today, we'll also look at David's own self-understanding, and that's going to help us understand Jesus better, his love for us. And we're going to see how the text today and the New Testament reflections on David's kingly gentleness will drive us more deeply into God's love, deep, more deep, deeper into what it means to live for him than some of us have ever considered. It is my goal that some people here by the end of this sermon will reconsider following Jesus. That is, I want you to see it with such crystal clear clarity that you say to yourself, I don't know if that's what I bargained for. I thought I was just going to serve God and he was going to make my life better. I'm going to present a different view of things this morning that I, I really pray causes someone here this morning to experience doubt in your what you thought was trusting in God for your salvation. The first thing I want to look at this morning is a little character study in all these different people we just read about. We want to see how these people responded to the announcement of David as king. Looking back at 2 Samuel, if you have your scriptures, 2 Samuel 2 verses 8 and 9, we see there that Abner put Ishbosheth in as king and Ishbosheth reigned for a couple of years. And some respond to David's claims like Abner initially does. They lift up someone else as king. Now, that sounds more spiritual. You know, it's not that you're saying to that king that you don't want to serve, get out of here, I'm going to be king instead. No, no, I'm a humble person. And I'm just serving the Lord and it's not about me and I'm going to celebrate somebody else being king in his place. Some people feel more comfortable in rebellion from the middle, you know, than they do from the top. 
The Jewish leaders in the New Testament certainly took that route. When Pilate gave them the choice to set Jesus free, and Pilate showed them this man Jesus called King of the Jews, what did the leaders say? Who did they say was their king? We have no king but Caesar. They were like Abner, who would rebel against God's will and God's way by lifting up another as king. Now I'm going to let you apply that to your own culture and situations. I believe you can do it. Look at Ishbosheth. He responds to David's claim like a man of pride and ego and power. I will be king. David will not. That's it. Call the troops. Arm them. Let's go to war. He has the same instincts as his father Saul and King Herod in the New Testament who heard of a king in Israel and started killing babies as easy as you and I cut grass. Those who would, like Satan, exalt themselves over God and his anointed may be no worse than me, like Abner, who lift up another as king. They're bold, they're brave, they're willing to accept risk. The man who wears a crown also wears a bullseye, so you have to give them credit. They become a target for assassination, and internal and external forces who will happily take them down. Friedrich Nietzsche admired the ubermensch, the superman, who would project his will upon others. This is Ishbosheth. This is the kind of man he was. But his end will be the same as Herod in Acts chapter 12, who would not give glory to God, but received it to himself so an angel of the Lord caused him to be consumed from the inside out. That is the end for everyone who would exalt themselves over God and his people. Joab is next. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 26. Joab comes out from David's presence. He sends messengers after Abner, calls him back, brings him over to talk with him in private, sticks a dagger in his guts and kills him. Joab responds to David's claims as king with obedience, with dutiful service, but then he uses his position, his obedience as a shield as an excuse for irrational violence that tears down the peace program that David was about to do. He was meeting with those who were trying to kill him. They had an agreement. The war was going to be over. And Joab said, no, I know what's best here. And scuttled the peace process. Joab thinks David is naive. He thinks Abner scammed him. He knows better than David, and he'll do what David should have done if he was a man like Joab, kill Abner. No character in the Old Testament is a better reflection of the older brother in Luke chapter 15. Dutiful outward service, but heart is so far from the Father. 
In fact, he thinks that men like David, who reflect God's mercy and patience and gentleness, are fools. And they're not real men like him. The kingdom would quickly fall if not for people like Joab, who are willing to spill blood over honor. The institution would crumble without men like Joab, willing to do the dirty work that David won't do. People like this go to church. People like this go to seminary and get MDivs and get ordained. People like this become elders and deacons in the church. And they do their duty, they do hard work, and then they think it earns them the right to do awful but necessary things to keep the institution going for honor. The Pharisees were just doing their duty when they made sure Jesus was dead. Back to our text for the day. David's response to what Joab did is he prophesies that Joab's family would suffer horribly for what he did. Every one of those words is laden with meaning. I won't get into it this morning, but do a little study on what that spindle thing is about there. It's fascinating. If the Spirit would convict anyone this morning and would hinder you from becoming a person like Joab, what the Scripture says is part of that is think of your family. Think of what becoming a professional hitman at church will do to your family. Because in your family, you may be the patriarch or the matriarch. And if you make much of your ability to get rid of the pastor, to get rid of whoever it is that you think is standing in the way of your church and institution, and you're willing to do anything to make it happen, you're training your children on how to do it to you when you get old. You're training your wife on how to do it if she sees you do something and it scares her. You're training your family to learn how to be like Joab, and one day you'll be Abner. That's what the Scripture warns us about today for those who would be like Joab. David's warning comes with David's method. He just doesn't say, don't do that. And there's going to be great suffering if you do it. He also says, here's another way. But he doesn't say, and there won't be great suffering with that way either. (laughs) David would be the first person to tell you that being gentle and kind to others is, is very risky and causes great suffering and pain in the life of a king and in the life of every believer. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and, and lowly of heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Peter showed how to take Jesus' teaching and apply it when he said in your hearts, Honor Christ as holy. Always being prepared to make a 
defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You think that's going to get YouTube videos if you do a big YouTube thing of going into the into Lakeland and interviewing them and talking to them about their belief in Christ and you're very gentle and respectful? You'll, you'll get like one little upvote from your mom on YouTube. Nobody cares about that. They want to see you ranting and raving and getting arrested. We'll come back to that more later. I have one more character sketch to do in chapter 4. I didn't realize until later this week that my text extended through 4. And that means we get to take a look at Tweedledum and Tweedledumer. Or in the Hebrew, Banah and Rakab. This brave pair, when they see the war shifting, when they see Joab in the outs because he's just murdered Abner and, and David would be well within his rights to kill him, they think to themselves, aha, I think we can, we can see ourselves. Maybe in the future it will be Abner and Joab in charge. It will be Banah and Rechab who leads the armies of Israel. So they do this brave mission where they sneak into Ishbosheth's home while he's napping and kill him. Oh, what bravery. And then they go to David's headquarters in Hebron. And they have the head of Ishbosheth, and they say, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, this day uh, on Saul and his offspring. And David says, As the Lord lives. Whenever David says, As the Lord lives, you done messed up. <laughs> who has redeemed my life out of every adversity? When one told me, behold, Saul is dead. He thought he was bringing good news. I seized him and I killed him at Ziklag. That was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men who have killed a righteous man in his house, on his bed, shall I not require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? There are those in today's passage, like Tweedledum and Tweedledumer, Manah and Rakab, who in the name of the king do very unkingly things. This is the very opposite of David's gentle approach. This is not how he handled Abner. This is not how he handled Saul when Saul was in the cave relieving himself and David could have killed him. This wasn't how David did business. If they had thought about it for just five minutes, they would have talked themselves out of this crazy plan. They knew that he had killed the Amalekite who had killed Saul. They knew this. Everybody knew it. They didn't think. They saw an opportunity to get a reward, to get a promotion from leaders of raiding bands to generals. And then they'd be in charge. In the New Testament, we see people like this who do evil in the name of King Jesus in order to ascend to a higher place. The disciples came upon a group of people who were casting out demons. And they came back and, and they said, Jesus, we saw people casting out demons in your name. But don't worry, we stopped them. 
Can you think of the look Jesus gave them at that point? He said, do not stop them, for he who is not against you is for you. You shouldn't have made enemies. You should have made allies with these people. In Matthew 19, if you have your scriptures, Matthew 19, there's a little verse. The story of when people brought babies and children to Jesus to pray for them. Then children, verse 13 of chapter 19 in Matthew, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples rebuked the people. (laughs) What? Yep, that's what we did, Jesus. Those darn kids were coming to you for blessing. But as your appointed and anointed leaders in the kingdom of God, we got rid of those brats. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Yep, Jesus, that's what we were afraid of because we want the kingdom of God to belong to us, not them. And he laid his hands on the children and went away. I can't help but think, that Jesus laid his hands on the children. This isn't in the text, okay? This is just in my own way of carrying it out. He lays his hands on the children, blesses them, looks at the disciples, shakes his head, and walks away. (laughs) Looking as dejected as Jesus can look. Can you imagine who as representatives of his ministry His disciples sent children and families away from him who were seeking prayer and blessing. In the name of Jesus, we do some really dumb stuff. We do it in real life. We do it on social media. We do it to our own kids and our family. All the time, like Banah and Rechab, we expect we'll be rewarded. We expect people will think we're awesome. We look for likes and affirmations when we say cutting things and share disgusting memes on Facebook. But that's not the way it works. Our end will be the same as Banah and Rakab if we're not careful, if we are killing people verbally and other ways and think We're doing God's will. Jesus himself prophesied, there'll come a day when people are killing you and will be thinking they're doing God's will. Every born-again believer who has tried to work out their faith in the public square and in relationships has experienced that. So what about David? As we turn the corner on the sermon... David gives us a look at the greater David. As we look at his character in the text, we're going to see now more about Christ and his love for us. Now first, the big picture. The theme in David's life is that he always receives resistance when he does God's will. He always experiences pushback and he suffers for doing what's right. You think back over the story of David from the embarrassment of being out in the field somewhere when Samuel came to anoint him to 
his wife laughing at him while he worshipped God, to Saul throwing spears at him while he was trying to heal him and do music therapy with him. Every time David does something that matters, that's obedient, that's good, that's right, he gets serious pushback. Jesus experienced the same thing in the New Testament. But I want to talk to you today. You may be experiencing long, drawn-out suffering and difficulties because you have decided to follow the path of obedience. I honor you for that today. The Scriptures honor you for that today. You're in good company. Some of you can't remember the last time you faced difficulty because of following Jesus. And I don't mean to be snarky when I say that it may be because you're not following Jesus. It may be that you've been following your own impulses, your own personal desires, your own desire to be viewed as a good religious person who's serving the Lord. And naturally, you get applause for that. David's difficulties flowed from his commitment to obedience and following God's plan for his life. I think we need to really take to heart if we have managed to come up with a way of living our life that involves no suffering, that involves no persecution, that involves no trials. If you've managed to figure out a way to do that, I'm challenging that today. The scriptures are challenging that today. Finally, King David leads with gentleness and kindness. He goes out of his way to not bring direct harm to Saul's family. He proclaims it. He lives it. And he's despised for for it by Joab, his general. Just as King David, who had absolute authority as a king in that time, led with gentleness and respect, that's how Jesus leads us today. How many of you have read Gentle and Lowly? How many of you have read that book? Oh, it's a good one. The rest of you, you've got a good book to read. I envy the rest of you. Those who didn't raise your hands, you're about to, if you will pick up that book and read it, you'll read the best book you've read all year. It gives a powerful, deep insight into this final point. It comes from Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. You don't need to turn with me there unless you just want to. Because I bet you have this memorized. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Jesus invites us to live in his kingly rule today through this gentle and lowly message. The first step is to be yoked to him. Now, I've, I've used this illustration a dozen times before. We are yoked to Christ, but we are yoked in the same way that a chihuahua is yoked to a giant ox. His legs are just spinning in the air, and he's yoked to the ox, and he's doing stuff, but, and he's working, but he's yoked to Christ, who is doing the magnificent part of that work. Jesus calls us to rest in him like that, in our union with him. He'll never cast us away, no more than he would send those children away who were seeking his blessing. He is our great high priest and he receives us. He receives people like Abner, like the younger son in Luke 15. He receives us to his table. The Joabs of this world will reject that kind of love. They'll hate it. They'll talk bad about those people. <clears throat> but Jesus invites the weak, the confused, the worried, and the legalist into union with him. Trust that his promises are true and that, and, and, and that Christ invites you to trust him, not your works, but his works. <clears throat> not your suffering, but his suffering on the cross. That's how the bridge is made to the Father. Second and finally, we find rest in our souls when we learn from him to be gentle and lowly in heart. Well, how do we do that? David has shown us. Jesus has shown us. We just don't like it. Suffering in his presence for doing what is right. David did not just pop out of the womb being gentle. He popped out screaming and crying just like all of us do. He was formed into it, molded into it by his father, by Saul, by Joab, by his wife, by God's own hand. God relentlessly brought opposition, failure, and struggle into David's life because God was much more concerned about David's character than he was his comfort. As David obeyed and yet suffered and did not shrink back from obedience but continued his deformed, sin-deformed soul was reformed. We believe in reformed theology at Redeemer, but this kind of reforming, I don't mean theology. I mean learning to suffer patiently in the presence of God and continuing in obedience regardless. That is what it looks like to have a reformed heart. If you just get a couple of steps down this path, you will see that the deeper we go into this kind of pain, this kind of suffering, the deeper we go into Christ's own heart. Not away from it, but towards it. 
If you fix your attention on your sin or on the sins of others, you'll fail to see how this is a good idea. You'll end up some version of Abner or Joab or Ishbosheth or Benah and Rechab. But if we will fix our attention on Christ, the great prophet and priest and king, you'll fail to see how life could be lived any other way. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forever blessing and forever blessed, we do now celebrate your great love for your church, your great kindness toward your your people. As we now turn our hearts and lives toward the rest of your Sabbath day, one of loving one another, loving you, serving your church. Open up our eyes to new, fresh opportunities for service today of you. Help us to go out of our way. Be inconvenienced to show your love to your people. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Remain standing for the benediction. God's good word for his people. The word that you and I need, unless we're just going to go forth and live this out in our own strength. If you're going to do that, then this benediction won't be useful for you. But if you need Jesus and need his strength to empower you to live for him today, lift up your hands and hear God's good word for you from his word. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that's been kept secret for long ages, but now is disclosed through the prophetic scriptures and has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of the faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.